Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry, I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur sitting in the Ducks House studios in Oxford, Mississippi. I want to welcome you to a special edition of the End of the Line podcast. Today we're going to do a little bit something different. We're going to look back. We're going to look back at uh, over the next few days, the next few podcasts that you listen to, we're going to take some of the greatest moments and greatest stories that have ever been told on this podcast, combine them together and make a, a great, uh, as we used to say in the 80s and 90s, mixtape. So, we're, tonight we're going to start out, I'm recording this on the Wednesday night before Independence Day, and if I didn't say Happy Independence Day, Happy Independence Day to everybody, thank you all for listening. We really, really appreciate all of you guys, I mean, you have made us one of the top podcasts in the outdoor industry, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen every day. But today, we're going to start out with one of your favorites. We're going to start out with Rob. Mondays with Rob, because there's been so many moments on that show that still to this day, I got to tell you, as the one of the hosts of that show. You know, I walk into that show every day with no idea with what we're going to talk about. Rob just leads us out, and it goes. You know, what's so funny is Rob was brought on to the show one time, and when he had started the business called Greasem Outfitters, which everybody remembers, um, but we, we mesh so well. But I asked Rob to continue on, and man, we became such good friends, and we have such a great time doing Mondays with Rob each week. It's I know you guys laugh and think it's really good. I mean, sitting across from Rob or sitting on the other end of the line from Rob, listening to him go on these rants or tell these stories, it, it, it is a ball, and it, it's fun to do each week with Rob. And I'm, I'm glad that he's a part of this. Enjoy the next little bit. Here are the greatest hits. And before you go into each one, I'll explain what's coming. But I think it's appropriate to start this one out, start this show out with uh, one of Rob's favorite topics. And I can't remember when we recorded this, but over the weekend, Freddie King had pulled a lawnmower 
up in the in a tree and posted a video online. He had pulled himself up with a rope, posted it online. And he was going to sharpen his blades, get up under it and sharpen them. <laughs> Listen to what Rob had to say about that. Man, I'll tell you what, I got up early this morning, knew I didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, to get to work, but I got up early this morning and tied my Kubota Zero Turn diesel up in a tree to sharpen the blades, and the damn thing almost fell down and killed me. You know, there's some how-to videos online to, to learn how well, to do that you know, correctly. I figured I'd, just, I figured I'd just drive it up the ramps on the trailer and park it there and get up under the trailer and sharpen them, but... I mean, after seeing Freddie's video, I figured, hey, I'm just going to pull this thing up in a tree, wait for the tree to fall on me or the lawnmower or something. <laughs> no wonder. Hey, what is the, what's the negligible or, or attorney terms? What is, who's who's liable if somebody does that the lawnmower does fall on them? I'm not sure who's liable, but I, I can tell you one thing. He, that mower looks like it had been run for about 30 minutes. And he said he had a hundred hours on it. That means he's mowed his yard forty times since since April first. <laughs> that's that's if it takes two and a half hours to mow his yard. I'm figuring it takes about an hour. So he's mowed a hundred times since the weed started popping out. Well, I, I, the the big thing that I did notice was he had the crocs on. Oh, yeah. He was strapped back, I think, too. I'm just wondering if he... I want to see the video, the second part of him actually getting sharpening the blade. <laughs> There's two parts. The, the, I told you this, but I, I literally thought he was going to hold that rope in his mouth and, and pull the lawnmower up with his mouth. It would have been a lot more cool. Woo! How to videos on Facebook when you're when you're followed by thirty seven thousand people and probably at least are let's say you're followed by thirty seven thousand and ten percent of them are going to try it and half of those won't be able to do it and a lot more fall on them. That's a rough stuff. One, let's say one percent. You think the surgical mesh videos are bad right now? Wait till we get the lawnmower crushing. <laughs> if anybody tries this, make sure you do it with a friend and your friend has a smartphone filming it. Yeah, it's got to be videos. Somebody's already, I guarantee you somebody's already tried it, besides Freddie, of all people. And surely he let it down and laughed after he did it. But, I mean, I know... It made me think about going and buying a lawnmower. I know that. Boy, <laughs> do you say, man, I'm going to post this online. Yeah, I'll I tell you what I'm fixing to do. Listen here, Peanut. I'm fixing to take this here lawnmower and pull this thing up in a tree to sharpen the blade. And we're going to put it on Facebook. I'm sorry. <laughs> Of, of all the things that you could possibly think to do on a Saturday afternoon, I have never once said, you know what I'm fixing to do? I'm fixing to pull my zero turn up in this tree and sharpen the blade. That's the most logical, <laughs> logical way way I can figure to do it. Use my forklift? No. No. I'm going to tie it. I'm going to run it up in a tree. <laughs> come, along, come, 
come along. No, I got some twine left over from the last camping trip. Our <laughs> twine from a camping trip. Listen, I know that our variants of uh, of, of liking Freddie on a scale, yours, it, it, ours varies. Because, you know, I, I like Freddie, but this is absolutely <laughs> crazy to post this online. And I would tell him that. What proof did you post that for? I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it's a, it's a good one for sure. I didn't realize what it was. Dylan posted that croc ad on, uh, or the no sex ad, if you will, on the page. And all I saw was a lawnmower with some leprechaun on it, but I didn't know who it was or what it was. And Spencer texted me. He's like, have you seen this video? And I was like, no. He's like, dude. So I immediately ran over to Freddie's page sorted through all the crap and found it. Boy, was it something. <laughs> I thought about sharing it just because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> you know button. what? I think I, I think I will go back and share it. You know, with, do it with Mondays with Rob. There, there's so many things that live on after you talk about it on the podcast and one of them that lived on until uh, Josh Criswell finally killed him was the I-55 Turkey. Now the legend of the I-55 Turkey started on a podcast with me, Spence Criswell, and of course, Rob, uh, it was on a Mondays with Rob, had a lot of fun on that day, but, but, Chris Wool telling the story and with Spence and Rob being there to add to the fire. <laughs> it made for a great story. I hope you enjoyed this one. <laughs> All right. All right, Chris Wool, I got to ask this. Okay. Uh, I mean, since we're in the, the heat of the battle, turkey season is here. Have you Have you gotten a new gun yet? Uh, I have not gotten a new gun. Uh, I'm kind of kind of working with the one I got right now. Uh, well, one of my other guns. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I stole my son's gun, and I'm using it. Uh, little 20 gauge uh, Winchester SX3, and I love that thing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of backstory to this. To this. <laughs> you yeah, found yeah, out that your is. barrel was was kind of uh, just. Down and a little to the right, didn't you? Or to the little to the left. Can you can you tell that story? Well, Rob could probably tell it better than I could. But, uh, no, no, I, I I cannot, and I I'm gonna have to mute my phone while you tell it. <laughs> I think you know. I think I think honestly, like Spencer may be the one to tell it. I don't know, but I look. You know, you, Rob, this, this story. It? This story is actually three years old. It started three years ago with one turkey. Okay? Uh, three years ago with one turkey, uh, there was a buddy of mine up here hunting. And uh the end of the season, and uh, we ended up getting on this bird like two or three mornings in a row and never did kill him. Uh, anyway, it was right at the end of the season. Uh, fast forward to the next year, uh, which was last year's opening day, and uh, I had a Spencer came down off the video camera, I was like, man, I got one lined up. He's doing the same thing every day. 
I think we can get him. So, you know, Spencer brings the uh, video camera down here, and uh, everything works out like it's supposed to, except I missed the bird. So now, for the for, for the and for just for the record, I had a Tacticam on Josh. So for the right price, Rocky, I could be talked into leaking the uh, the 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 meltdown that occurred after after that bit. Uh, <laughs> How much will that cost? That, it, that uh, might be worth paying for. Uh, you, well, first off, you're going to have to do some editing to it before you put it on your uh, before yeah, you put it on social yeah. media, or it will be yanked down immediately. <laughs> There's some words in there that ain't even hit the Urban Dictionary yet. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, turns out. Uh, so fast forward to the like the third day of turkey season last year. I gave him a day to you know recuperate from having a load of sixes slung over his head. And uh, anyway, me and my son are down there. And I sit up on the same bird. Which, I mean, I, I'm saying this is the same bird. I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't took a census, and he, or he hadn't filled out his census yet. But anyway, uh, I'm assuming he does sleep the at the. Bird. He does sleep. He does sleep on the same limb every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he sleeps on pretty much the same limb of the same tree, three sixty five, and, and he lands within ten feet of the same spot every morning. Pretty good chance the same bird, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry, we're three Josh, days. I'm sorry. Oh, you okay? We're fine. So three days later, I've got my son down there, uh, which was he's ten. He was ten at the time last year. Uh, so I was gonna let him try to shoot this bird, and man, we set up on the bird, and it turns out the bird came in strong on our right. There was no way Hunter could get a shot, so I tried to swing on him and shoot him on my side. Well, guess what? I missed him again. I right, ended up just getting off that bird last year because he had just messed my season all up. Well, fast forward to this year, opening day, he's doing the same thing he was doing last year. Except this time he's got about 40 hens and about five more strutters with him. Well, hey, mind you, can I, can I interrupt for just a second? Uh, my, Rocky, mind you, we have, a, we have a little group text message going on from a contest we had last year. Maybe one of the funniest things I've ever read in my entire life was Josh and this boy named Ian from South Carolina have a have an ongoing uh, back and forth. And <laughs> the night before season, Josh sends out a text that says, boy, I'm fired up. He's doing the same thing every day. I've got him dialed into a pattern. And Ian retorts with, you reckon that gobbler's sitting on that limb telling all the rest of the turkeys this fucker's doing the same thing he's doing last year? <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, look, look, Rocky. It's 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 been an ongoing joke within the, within a couple of between a couple of us for years. I mean, this turkey's ruined my life basically. Uh, it really has. But anyway, the bird. And and I'll I'll respond with one of Ian's comebacks on our text group message here in a minute. But uh, the bird does what it does every day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, everything worked out the exact way it was supposed to. 
and I clean missed the bird wide open shot at about 25 steps. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Did he turn around to the hens and the other gobbler and say, yep, he did it again. (laughs) So I sent the text text to the group, and I was like, you know, oh, I mean, it it breaks me down when I miss a turkey now. You know, I'm all in my feelings. So I sent a message to the group, and Ian responds with, now that turkey's telling his buddies, I told y'all that was the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's when you just put your phone in your pocket Uh, and just let your buddy have that one. I mean, you just get burned. Well, anyway, I've never never tried to go in close to this turkey's roost because, uh, one thing, he, he roosts there, like Spencer said, every day. Well, I don't want to. I, I don't want to bump him and keep him from roosting in that area. So, but it had done got serious. I mean, it like it was time. Me and me and him. He was fixing to die, or I was fixing to die. And I'm not dead yet, but I was close. Well, I, I found him about two o'clock one afternoon, and we started playing back and forth. Man, he'd get within sixty yards and just turn around and go the other way. I swear this turkey has human thoughts. But he'd get within six yards, he'd turn around and go the other way. Well, we played that chess match until 6.30. But 6.30, he quit gobbling. And I was like, he's headed to roost. Well, I knew where he was at, and I know where his roost tree's at. So, I I mean, I sprint. I mean, it is like full-on sprint, about half a mile to get in position on this turkey. And I sit down, and uh, by this time, it's like 6.45. And I was like, man, he's done something through here. He beat me. And I look up, and his red head's just bobbing through the woods, just coming. And I was like, oh, I got him now. And I missed again about 25 steps. Wild open shot. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, holy so by crap. Now, 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 let, me, let, me, let me say this. I've killed other turkeys. I mean, I, I shot a few other turkeys in between all this with the same. I think it's the turkey. I swear I do. But you know, he's got some kind of. We even we even guilted him into shooting a couple of jakes last year to try to get the fluff off his back. Poor guy. <laughs> now he did. Uh, they did. Man, it was a season last year, and we were going to leave. We were going to leave, leave Nebraska empty-handed. And I was like. Man, it's legal to shoot Jake's up here. You know, you can't do that back home. So, I mean, a couple of Jake's took a ride, but they could, hey, they taste the same way the gobblers do. <laughs> they just had a little little fan rock going on on the edges. Yeah, they had a little fan rock going on with all of the ears. You know, nice six-year-old Jake. But anyway. <laughs> super Jake. Yeah, I mean, it was a six-year-old Super Jake, but I got him. Uh Oh, man. Anyway, so everybody starts like, you know, you've got to sell this gun. I mean, and I, you know, I want a new gun anyway, and you know, you done missed four turkeys with this one. I'm mad, and you know, my well, wife's one turkey. Feeling, my wife's kind of feeling sorry for me, and uh, so I was like, well, I'm gonna sell this gun and just go get me a new one. I mean, it's a perfect opportunity to use that. You know, if you ever want a new gun, just. Get on when you're feeling in front of your wife. She'll feel sorry for you, and you can sell yours and go buy you another one. She's going to say a word. But anyway, I sold that crooked shooting gun to a buddy of mine. Uh, and I, I believe it shoots pretty straight, but it, it, it'll shoot a little bit low and to the right on the turkey. 
I mean, agree I with Spencer, Spencer, Spencer on that one. The, the, just saying one turkey sounds a lot better than saying I miss four turkeys. I'm going to propose a second question to you if you just say one turkey. Well, how many times you missed that turkey? Which the odds <laughs> of that happen are very low. Well, I, it is. I mean, in theory, I do think it is the same turkey that I missed four times. But, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm gonna, I mean, I kind of hope they log that timber and just cut the damn tree down he sleeps in. I ain't got to worry about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man. man, I'm hurt. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I still pitch three Fort Rocky. I mean, you can't. I mean, well, what are friends for? You know, I sure would be giving them the same grief if they was missing them. <laughs> you know, a lot of people ask me, "How do you approach life?" I, I approach it in a cartoonish manner myself, personally, and I, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Spencer and Rob on that one. You know, that turkey's sitting up in the tree talking to his buddies. We have got him patterned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, hey, he probably does, man. He probably knows where I parked my truck. I mean, he, he can see me walking in for you. I mean, you got to get in there an hour and a half before daylight because where he roosts at, I mean, he can see you coming for about four miles. Ain't no leaves on the trees. So. Tell everybody that drives I-55 between Memphis and Jackson, Mississippi, knows where he sleeps. I mean, you can see him from the side of the dang interstate. You you literally can't. You you literally can't. I mean, like, you could probably limb lift him from the interstate. At, at, at some of Josh's darker moments, I've honestly thought about driving down the interstate, slipping into to that farm because I know where he sleeps and just kill him in the dark. You know, just try to be a good friend. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you. I mean, it's a big block of pines, and there's only one white oak tree in there. <laughs> He's on the same limb every night. <laughs> uh, you 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 probably wouldn't have to leave the shoulder of the interstate to get him. Uh, oh man, yeah. Whew. Yeah, it's just good. That, that that's I'm, that's good I'm, for a Monday I'm, morning. I'm sweating. Well, look, mm-hmm. man, when I kill that turkey, we're gonna have to have another podcast. But I'm gonna do like a uh, video blog, and you know. You remember when you were growing up and people killed a big deer and they rode him around in the back of their truck? Mm-hmm. That, that's what I, that's, I'm going to strap this turkey to the hood of my truck and we're going to ride. I hope you do. <laughs> please don't please don't put another podcast on killing that turkey. We can't wait that long. <laughs> uh, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to die of old age or get hit by a car or something. <laughs> <laughs> somebody asked me the other day. Somebody asked me the other day. Uh, he said, "Did Josh really miss that turkey like four times?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Has he called him in that many times, or is he just hunting over a bait pile, or what?" And I said, "Man, if he was hunting over a bait pile, don't you think that turkey'd be dead by now?" <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <God>. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they. Smart. I mean, they're not the smartest creatures in the world like everybody thinks they are. I mean, they're just scared of every living organism on Earth. So, and, but they're and, creatures uh, of habit just like we are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I got It's almost lunch. <laughs>
you know, when it comes to Mondays with Rob, it doesn't matter if it's just me and Rob or when a guest joins us. But another one of those great days when we had a guest with us was when Keaton joined the show to talk about running holes on public land in Kansas. Take a listen to this, if you remember it. Is this a Monday with Rob? They say you that it. you are the number one expert hole runner. And sometimes you're known to run past those holes, but still get them. Is that the truth? Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> sometimes when you're going so fast, it all looks the same, and you're like, oh, hell, that's where we're going. <laughs> 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 hey, Keaton, I've got to ask about this one. They yeah. said, I don't know when it was, one, two, three years ago, <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> you left the boat ramp about five minutes early. It was five uh, minutes on the dot. And people's faces were just astonished that somebody was leaving early. Well, I don't know how many boat races y'all been in in, in northeast uh, Kansas, but um, sometimes <laughs> when uh when people start cranking their motors up and jockeying for a position, you got to be ready. You know that throttle twist has got to be on point. You want to hear the rundown of the story? I do, I do. All right, so here we go. Get dropped off at the ramp about twelve thirty. There's already probably five or six boats ahead of us. Yada yada. Yeah, that don't that don't matter at all. So. We launched the boat, and we sitting there just meandering around. And, um, you know, people start showing up, people start showing up, and we get in position, get ready to go, right? So I got this old boy from Mossy Oak in the front of the boat with me, and uh, we're all lined up like um, kind of like the Kentucky Derby, but it's not, not quite. And uh, everybody starts cranking their shit up about um, about 350 Getting there and getting everything good and revved up, but I know mine's already warmed up. It don't need but half a second. We're sitting there, people's getting ready, getting ready, and then uh, I got this old boy in the front just to help me plan out better. And what we're running through can't be more than five or six inches of water, and I'm the only outboard there. And everybody's in their mud muds and stuff, and I'm like, ain't no way you're gonna do it. Ain't no way you're gonna do it. So I'm just sitting there smoking my last cigarette, with, just thinking to myself, just, <laughs> y'all sit back, boys, watch. And we're sitting there, and um, these other boys kind of start jockeying a little bit, and I hear Spence and them behind me, like, che- like sound like a group of cheerleaders back there hooting and hollering, like, come on, get them, get them, get them down, boys! And uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting there getting, getting my mind right, and then... Um, I look at the old boy in the front of the boat, and it's like 3.52, and I look at him, and I say, I say, hey, look at your phone. Get it out. When it hits 55, let me know. So he's sitting there. I'm looking at him in his eyes, and he gives me three. Wait a little bit, and he's like, 54. So when he said four, went ahead and just went in and turned my hat around backwards. Didn't see G-Dub nowhere in sight, so I knew G-Dub wasn't going to find me anyway. So as soon as 55 hit, he gave me the five. So I pushed off. I was holding on to another boy's boat beside me, so I just shoved him to the side and just wrapped on it. And it didn't <laughs> take that boat I had in. 
didn't take it four foot to get on plane, and we're gone. Do you turn around and look at these people's faces? You can't, because you got to look in front of you. uh, Oh, it was (laughs) a look of devastation, I can tell you. (laughs) I hadn't ran this cut. When we ran this cut the day before, we was having to walk the boat through and push it through, but I just knew if I got on pad, it's over. So as soon as I wrap on it, we're going, going around a couple curves, and then I forgot about this. Big old oak top that done fell down, and it didn't register to me. And I hit the curve a little too, little too sharp. And I had one or two choices: it was either get off pad, and then the whole morning is just screwed, no hole, or throttle through and run through this oak top. And I swear to God, it looked like a wily coyote. You know when he goes through a damn um, through one of them puffer clouds, and you look back and you just see a silhouette when he runs through it. That's exactly what it had to look through <laughs> when we come through that tree. And then we boogie boogie on down there, and I run past the hole. And then uh, luck behold that we had some other boys coming behind us because I done I had every hole in that block of damn Kansas woods I wanted. Like I had the whole block, but I done ran past all of them and then turned around. <laughs> So, it 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 was uh it was an eventful morning to say the least. Well, yeah, most time we have pretty good times. I mean, who don't? <laughs> I can't help myself laughing as we go into these. But uh, everybody remembers this past Christmas, Rob talking about what the twins got for Christmas. And him trying them out, uh, the death wobble. I think that's what it was called <laughs> when he got on the the hoverboard deal that he got for his, one of his twins. Oh gosh! All right. So, how did Christmas at the Croom House go this year? Pretty wild. Uh, the boys said it was the best Christmas ever. Of course, they said that last year, and uh. Well, we got some interesting gifts this year, for sure. Uh, we both, Liz and I both have emergency phone numbers in our phones now. And uh feel real bad for the neighbors. It you do. So, so, tell me about a little bit about the, the gifts that, that your boys received and why you may have emergency numbers in your phone. The gift that keeps on giving. Uh, one of my kids got a drum set and, uh, I haven't, you know, my alarm system in my house picks up on loud noises and stuff. So every time he hits, did you say drum set? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Not not just like a, not a bongo. You know, if I could get him on that bongo, we could go travel around on Grateful Dead tour and let him, let him bang that thing around for a couple of grilled cheeses. But anyway, so he got a drum set, so every time he gets to playing on this thing, it makes my alarm go off. It, it goes, like, he'll start banging on it, which is the, obviously the most obnoxious noise in the world. And then, on top of that, the alarm system in the kitchen starts going, glass broken, glass broken, glass broken. <laughs> so every time, every time he starts banging on this thing, I have, I have the annoying sound of the drum on one end, and on the other end, I have that stupid alarm telling me that a glass is broken. 
when we know damn well there's no glass broken. It's just a big, obnoxious bunch of banging. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and and oh, that was that was happened at your house. Only you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's not all. It gets better. So, um, let's see. Where should I go with this? So, so they also got hoverboards, and uh, so anyway, you know that they were trying to figure out how to ride them, and it took them about two minutes to do, start doing tricks and figure it out. And I was like, man, it can't be that hard, you know. And I was about 40 pounds over the weight limit, but I was like, you know, they're pretty strong. They'll hold up. So I start, you know, riding this. Well, I wasn't riding it. I was a, I was a victim is what I was. And I should sue that company. Um, and also I should sue the person that, uh, that got it, got it for them. But anyway, so the kids got it down. I mean, they're, they're just, you know, they're just riding around like crazy. And, um, so anyway, I get on it, and I'm like, it can't be that hard. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, they can do it. And so I get on this thing, and at first, it wouldn't, it kind of wouldn't go. And I was like, I, I, you know, I was kind of like, what what do I need to do here? And I started doing the death wobble, and that thing started going back and forth, and I started panicking. And the next thing you know, I am 10 feet in the air, fully parallel to the ground. And come to a big, huge crash. I'm talking about like I don't know how I survived. I All right, so uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's walk through the parts of a death wobble, well, especially on a hub, these these hover wheels or whatever they are. The first part of the death wobble is the the hand motion, right? Right. Yeah, the, you get the, the circular that, like, hand treading, motion. Yeah, the treading water, if you will. Yeah. You, you, and, and, the, and the thing about the death wobble is that you realize as soon as it starts, you're you're done. Unless something major saves you, there's no way around it. Like the death wobble, everybody should know that's ridden a four-wheeler or a go-kart or anything, a dirt bike. Anybody that's had these kind of childhoods understands that when that starts, you need to start looking for an exit because you, you're going to bust it. You just need to know if you're going to bust it somewhere that doesn't kill you. Or you have, you know that your life flashes in front of your eyes. I don't care what you're on, and and it and it did me. Um, the second, I will I'll, never. That's the second okay. part of the death wobble is the life flashing before your eyes. Right. Yes. And you, and you don't know because at that time when it starts, you realize that at any moment, it's over. The, the the third part is the the swinging of the feet back and forth, right? Where where yeah, it's it yeah. I've seen so many crashes with these. What are they called? What are those little little things really called? I think they, they, the they hoverboard. I don't know what they're called. Where you're standing on them, they got two wheels on each side. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, they're just a hoverboard. Well, and that and that's when the wheels start going back and forth after, you know, like I said, first is the hand motion, second, life flashing before your eyes, third, wheels going back and forth, fourth, you're like, oh, now make sure I tell, you know, you're thinking, did I tell my kids I loved them, my wife, I loved her, blah, 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 and then there's the Yeah, crash. every... 
Yeah, I mean, the, you're making, you're thinking like, did I get that life insurance? Did my agent, you know, makes did that policy go through? I mean, is my will up to date? Every all that happens. It, I don't understand. I, you know, how does that? How does? How can all that stuff go through your head in such a short amount of time? And why is it that when you go through the death wobble and actually get airborne, how do how does your mind go through all of that at once? And you're only you know, you're following for like a half a second, but you can think of 5,000 things that you, you know, you pay, you panic. And, but I don't understand how your brain, you know, somebody smarter than me will have to get on the post and tell us how that happens. But, you know, it's almost like, it's like a horror, it's, it's a horror movie in, in 0.5 seconds. Unless God intervenes, that that's the only fifth step in there. God yeah. sends an angel to intervene on your behalf. Yeah, lay, lay, lay me down softly. <laughs> you put two guys together that forget that a recorder zone and one of them's living in Oxford, Mississippi, the topic of yoga pants is going to come up. And boy, it's been one of the most talked about topics after we finish a podcast and put one out when we talk about them every single time. Yoga pants, if you think about it, are, could be possibly the most incredible things ever. It, wait, 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 wait. Yoga pants are the most incredible thing ever when wore correctly. You don't need to be 260 pounds wearing yoga pants because a no no everybody knows you're not going to yoga okay we know that two you just don't need to do it i mean it's like me wearing you know some of my old extra large shirts being like man liz had done laundry in a few weeks i'm gonna bust up this under armor uh, extra large shirt and then my b cup boobs are showing all day it's just not a good idea it's just Let's not, wear it's not the right if you're able to wear a coat, it's okay. In the same sense, it's okay for a 200-pound, 250-pound girl to wear yoga pants as long as she wears a shirt that goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-time. I mean, they've got to be com- they got Who? What's that Lululemon or whatever? It's always on my credit card statement. What? They are geniuses. And then we have, I mean, these girls, they... They're just. I think. I think what's happening is, is they. They just. They were smarter than we are. There was an article came out a couple of months ago. I want to ask you about this. A lady was moving her son into Notre Dame, and she wrote a letter to the editor of the school newspaper that said that yoga pants, which I saw a lot of yesterday, and with Dawson this past Monday should be outlawed because that lady, should, that lady should be shot with 500 paintballs. I got a question for you though. Let, 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 look, so all these women's groups and libs came out just screaming to chop her head off because she said this. Now put yourself back into your 18 year old self where every three seconds you thought about sex every three seconds. Some kind of sexual thought comes through your mind. Right. Look, and I want you to look at it from this woman's point of view. Does she have a point? No. 
look, man, if we'd have had yoga pants when I was at school there, holy crap. I mean, basically, they wore those little shorts anyway, so, I mean, it, I mean, really, you're, you're cool, but the yoga pants, like, why didn't we, why didn't we start Lululemon? Oh, man. I mean, it's like $90 yoga pants, and it makes the right girl that wearing them, it makes them irresistible to the point of probably things you should not ever think about. But I don't but exactly because I'm, I'm married. Right. Whatever. I am too. But, but listen, when you can see the undercarriage and every wrinkle in that undercarriage, does the lady not have somewhat of a point? Just a little one. The lady needs to kiss my ass. Those girls just got done working out, okay? They didn't have time to go home and freshen up and put a sundress on. They've been working out. People have tight schedules. You go to the gym, and then you go to class. They don't have time to go change, and I commend it. Tell that lady to mind her own damn business. If she don't wear yoga pants, go get some baggy mommy jeans and go wear them around with some white New Balances. Nobody cares about her anyway. She's just jealous because she don't look good. Penn State, I mean, there's three hot girls in the whole state of Pennsylvania. And they never no, grow up there. Oh, oh, sorry, whatever. Same thing. South Bend, Indiana. Have you been to Indiana? There's three hot girls in the whole state. And they all came from Tennessee or Mississippi. They're all transplants. She needs to shut up. Find her own business. She doesn't hey. like yoga pants. I don't. I don't like a lot of stuff, but I don't go crazy and talk about how they should be outlawed. I mean, how how do people get these platforms? Like, how did she get to be able to do this? Like, who? How did she? I mean, like, at what point are we as a society to where we're going to listen to some bum fuddled lady who probably has some sort of chemical imbalance talk about how yoga pants should be banned? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. She should be banned. Take no, she's a home. Christian. She's a Christian family counselor. That's fine. That's great. Counsel your people. The people no, no, no. That are right. you. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to talk about this from a standpoint of a eighteen-year-old Rob Crew. Holy hell! I can't imagine Rob Crew at eighteen years old. This is a standpoint of, that, that is so misunderstood in this world. Women think that we are, we think like them and we are supposed to think like them instead of how our minds were really created, which is almost, it's totally different, totally opposite of theirs. That's what I'm saying. The lady has somewhat of a point. Now, listen, I don't want to ever see yoga pants outlawed, but she does kind of have a point from that perspective. No, 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 no. Okay, it's the same damn thing with guys arguing over shotguns, shells, this pattern, what how many ducks you killed. It's the same thing. Some hot girl walks through campus, the very first time with some Lululemon yoga pants, and the other girl was like, I'm hotter than her. I'm going to get some. I'm getting two pairs, and I'm going to get the tank top and look like I'm going to the gym. It's the same thing. 
It doesn't matter. Everybody wants to look better than the other person. They want to have the best picture on Facebook. They want to look hot. And if you can rock it and you have the body, by God, you should wear it. This whole thing about, oh, well, they're doing this, and, oh, it's crazy. People are different wearing yoga pants. What is, every time somebody posts something about Sitka, everybody goes crazy. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's too expensive. It's the best stuff ever made. It's the same exact argument. It's the same thing. If they want to show off their hot ass, then let them show it off. That's their prerogative. If they go to the gym and work to have a body like that, which I know about half of them don't, then they deserve it. I'm all for it. Look, they, you know, they might be 195 pounds now. Who, who, who knows? Who cares? At least they got to wear them when they were hot. And they probably got some pictures the way people, kids take pictures now. Everything is documented. I was talking to one of my best friends the other day. I was like, man, can you imagine if we had Tinder and Facebook when we were in school? We were in school Ooh. together the whole time. We didn't even have – he goes, no, it would been awful. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you're right. Because one of us would have hooked up with the wrong girl, and she would have blasted us on Facebook. It would have ruined every – we would have had to transfer to some other school. Not state, not Arkansas, you know, Kentucky, horse races, Tennessee has hot girls, but it's in the mountains. I mean, somewhere, we would have had to go somewhere. We could not have stayed at Ole Miss because we would have been called out. So actually, after second thought, I'm glad we didn't have that stuff. I didn't even have a cell phone. I didn't even have a cell phone until I was a senior, or maybe even later than that. So, I mean, you had to actually go to the bar, find the girls, Figure out which one you thought you had a chance with and go from there, whether it worked or not. Now, all right, all right, all right. Now, what's... Take, take, take personal opinion out of it. So when you and I were in college, you know what was the yoga pants of our time? You know what got our mouths salivating? Really think about this for a second. Think back on those days. Uh, in the short shorts. Which I was probably, I guess I was probably two or three years older than you. But the, the, you remember sh when Shania Twain released that video showing her belly off? What did oh what he call it? Midriff? Yeah, yeah, that was that. Woo, yeah. But see, when I was in school, there was still a bunch of conservative Mississippi girls that wouldn't wear it. I mean, you know, if you, if, if Ole Miss, if you go too much on the hoe side. You can get bald quick. Like, you end up in one of those janky sororities, you know, and you can get bald pretty quick or get a bad name. There were still a bunch that were like, ah, I'm not doing that, and they were still super hot. But when bathing, season, when bathing season came and they realized they could go to the pool and attract us to the pool, even though we didn't want to go or go to Sardis, that, that, that was the holy of holies. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, before this big freeze hit, uh, one of your clients that, that hunted with you, I talked to him. I'm going to say his name of the air, but he said that you have perfected flooded timber pecan hunts. Now, I mean, this well, is, these I, are pecan groves that you flood. Well, I tell you, it is pretty good. You know, what you got to do is you got you to get water on them, which sometimes can be trouble, troublesome. You got to keep these yahoos out of there that come over and try and pick up all the pecans. And uh, once you do that, and you let them rest for about two days and get on them, whoo, son, you talk about smoking them. We hunt them two or three days, and then we'll let them rest and get back in there. But like I said, you got to have somebody going by all the time during the day because 
those folks will put them new boots on and go out there and start picking up them pecans. You can't hardly keep them out of there. We can't go too far without going back to the beginning where it all started with greasome outfitters. And I'll never forget the first day that, that Rob and I got together, man. No matter what stupid thing that I came up with, he had an answer for. <laughs> Listen to the next few segments. Uh, that that first podcast that Rob and I got together on. Well, let me ask you this: what what led you know the the love for duck hunting? But what led you into being a guide, opening up Greasem Outfitters? Well, I when I went to I went to Ole Miss back in the late nineties, and uh, I guided for a guy off of sixty four in Augusta, Arkansas, for two years. Um, then I helped out with Avery a little bit, not not a whole lot, but. You know, I, I really like dealing with people and, and kind of got, you know, there's some interesting people I took and uh, learned a lot from that, learned how to cook bacon and eggs, uh, that kind of thing. And um, then anyway, we we just kind of hunted after that. I got a little burnt out on it. Um, you know, I didn't get to a fun hunt. It kind of took a little bit out of it for me. But uh, the last year or so, uh, you know, some of my good friends are doing video for a bunch of big companies and uh, shooting, you know, pictures that are in magazines and stuff like that. So we decided just to take it to the next level and just go ahead and do it. Um, the greasing part comes from kind of a joke, to be honest. We started calling the shots, and every time we'd call the shot, we'd try and think of something that would make everybody laugh. And greasing was probably one of the best ones. So uh, that's what we went with, and that's that's kind of kind of what it is. You know, it kind of started off as a joke, to be honest with you. But... Um, you know, now we're we're seeing some some uh, some good things from it, and you know, making some kind of silly videos, but we're having a good time with it and uh, getting these guys out here on some ducks. Well, let me ask you this: what what led you know the the love for duck hunting? But what led you into being a guide, opening up Greasem Outfitters? Well, I when I went to I went to Ole Miss back in the late nineties, and uh, I guided for a guy off of sixty four in Augusta, Arkansas, for two years. Um, then I helped out with Avery a little bit, not not a whole lot, but you know I I really like dealing with people and and kind of got you know there's some interesting people I took and uh, learned a lot from that, learned how to cook bacon and eggs, uh, that kind of thing. And um, then anyway we we just kind of hunted after that. I got a little burnt out on it. Um, you know I didn't get to a fun hunt. It kind of took a little bit out of it for me. But uh, the last year or so. Uh, you know, some of my good friends are doing video for a bunch of big companies and uh, shooting, you know, pictures that are in magazines and stuff like that. So we decided just to take it to the next level and just go ahead and do it. Um, the greasing part comes from kind of a joke, to be honest. We started calling the shots, and every time we'd call the shot, we'd try and think of something that would make everybody laugh. And greasing was probably one of the best ones. So uh, that's what we went with, and that's that's kind of kind of what it is you know it kind of started off as a joke to be honest with you but um you know now we're we're seeing some some uh some good things from it and you know making some kind of silly videos but we're having a good time with it and uh getting these guys out here on some ducks out there in the pecans we're, we're mainly killing woodies and uh a few mallards and some hooded or gangsters when they come by we try to you know we, we only get about six or seven species we got kind of heavy on the mallards and kind of had to tone that back and try and get some more divers in there. 
Um, but we kill, you know, we on a good day, we'll kill five or six mallards and a lot of divers and the pecans. I, I don't really know. I know the woodies, a lot of the woodies that we've been hunting, and I'll try and post a video on this under the podcast, but we could, we killed a woody the other day, and he had so many uh, pecans and acorns in his crawl that it felt like a bean bag full of uh, marbles. It was amazing. We we popped them out to show the clients, and, you know, people were just amazed over that stuff. You know, they say, how can a little old duck like that eat them big old things? You know, I thought some bad things in my mind about women jokes, but I'm going to leave that back to the blind. And Rob and I finally let everybody in on the gag or the joke that was Greasem Outfitters. And the reason that he started Greasem Outfitters and gave out the phone number, let you finish it. You'll find out in this small segment of why he used that phone number that he did. Rob. Let 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 let's get to the truth of this matter real quick, because this all started. It all really started out as a gag months and months ago. When when you did the That's first right. report, it it kind of started out as a gag. Uh, I'm not going to tell people. Well, I'll say this: the the reports were a gag. You tell it. Tell it. Well, like I, people said, like the I truth said, how this started. Well, like I said in the first podcast, we we kind of were joking around me and the other guys and buddies and everything about what we, how we called the shot, and we came up with different stuff. Some of it was really funny, some of it wasn't. But our favorite one was Greasem, and uh, you know, Greasem came from something way back. Uh, I had been dating this girl from Little Rock for a while, and uh, anyway, things went sour. I found out she had found her another man, and. Next thing you know, uh, I was pretty tore up about it and, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what I needed to do. So I kind of incorporated her into the threesome. So anyway, what I did was when we started taking this thing off, that 501-833-1057 was her number. So uh, it was kind of a get back at her, you know, you're going to cheat on me. I'm going to show you kind of thing. She sent uh, disconnected the number, and I think she's kind of figured out what's happened. But uh, you know, it was funny that way. <laughs> And uh, that, that's what we did, and that's why we did it, to be honest with you. But, all right, all right, so <laughs> for all the people that have been following this, you, you, you're finally getting the backstory that that a lot of us have known, uh, well, I say a lot of us, a few of us have known for a while. Rob kind of started out just as a joke to get people to call his ex fiance from years ago. That, that, That's correct. And her phone, the, the thing about it was she called you, right? Her phone yeah. had blown up. Yeah, somebody that she was friends with there in Little Rock had seen the reports and told her what was going on. And she called me and was not very happy, I'm going to be honest with you. And uh, and I didn't really care, to be honest with you, because we moved on. It's been a while. But anyway, um, you know, she got wind of it and then since then disconnected her phone, but at the last rumor, she had had 514 calls. <laughs> and and J-Dub, how many, how many messages had he gotten about hunts because you, you told him, you told everybody to message, message him about a hunt? I'm not sure, but at one point he had to turn his PMs off. I don't know so how many it was. I probably, honestly, I, no, I, I, probably I, mean, had, I probably had between 70 and 90 
messages about hunting. And see, that's how we decided. We said, you know what? Let's just do it. Enough is enough. So, so what we, turned you know, out? Had, what turned out as a joke actually turned into a huge business. That's correct. Wow, it's been an hey, eye-opening uh, experience. All right. Well, uh, hey, before I let you go, going back to the original story, was was the girl? Was she from Ole Miss? She was. She was. Her name was Candy. Um, you know, which is odd for Ole Miss. They usually, you know, keep them kind of conservative there. But her name was Candy, and she was. A, she was something else. She was a firecracker. She was Miss Teen Arkansas. And, and we had a lot of fun together, but she just couldn't keep it. Uh, she couldn't keep it a one-man show, and uh, you know, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. And uh, I'd about got over it, but I thought, man, this is going to be a great idea. I just put her phone on there, and I had no idea the people were going to call. And you know, the funniest thing was, of course, they were all men, uh, all male calling her. So uh, it ended up great. I'm glad we uh, got that worked out. And you know, we we had uh, got a new number, eight hundred grease, and was going to be our number. Turns out, Rocky, uh, that goes to first alert, um, and that's not what we want. So we're going to change it to 888 uh for this next coming up. Little bit, It won't be long before we get that finalized. Uh, but I hate for everybody that called first alert. Uh, you know, we didn't want that, so I apologize for that. So did, hey, let me ask, did, did Candy call you? Did she call you after she started getting yeah, all these yeah. calls? She did, yeah. She was pretty upset, I'm not going to lie. She was pretty, she was pretty easy to get. To get, uh, she got a short temper. She's pretty easy to get upset. She wasn't real happy about it. I'm glad I didn't see her there, because uh, she might have tried to give me a pop knot or something. And I mean, when you heard her voice, did any of those old feelings come back? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, there was a touch and go there. I had a dream the other night. And she was in it. And I thought, man, you know, I got to really get this straight. Uh, you know, I got family and everything and wife. And I, I can't be thinking about candy, you know, all day long when I'm working on these boats i just it's too much i'll tell you what for to, look i and i hadn't told any i i actually just told the first person the truth about the the greasing outfitters and the origins of it yesterday it's one of the administrators on the page and i told him right. about it. I said holy crap man this this is legendary status if this is the case and i said well it's the case you know it's something that started out as a as a joke actually grew into a huge business. That's right. So, not only did Rob fool everybody into thinking that he was running a guide service, but when he guided and the clients killed a band, he stole that band. There were people calling death threats into Rob because he said that he stole these imaginary clients bands. So when he said it on the podcast the first time, it went up and then people started talking about it on Duck South over the weekend. He got serious. Take a listen to, to Rob and I's conversation about that. I'm gonna tell you something, your your phone was probably blowing up with notifications because the Duck South page or the Duck South group was going crazy with that post on Friday. Yeah, yeah. It kind of grew. It kind of took a mind of its own. I think I charged my phone 17 times over the weekend. Uh, I didn't even get to see my kids or my wife. Uh, they actually just sit there and stared at me. So uh, anyway, I tried to, tried to respond the best I could. I know I left a few guys out, but I hope everybody understands that, uh, you know, we're just trying to be honest here is all. 
um, honesty it would be a great way to explain that post because in the post you were talking about getting the bands or, or stealing the bands, and, and you had a great point because for what a duck hunter pays out in a hole, a boat, UTVs, whatever it may be, God is kind of deserving of the band. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said in the in the on one of the posts or in the video, I mean, if if one person shoots it, then yeah, I mean, it should be theirs. But when you're out there sixty days and you got big groups and everybody's shooting, including the guy, that's another thing too, Rocky. We're gonna have to talk about that about the guy shooting. We can get to that in a minute. But when you got all these people shooting and my dog's bringing it back, I mean, you know, there's a certain point where bands make grown men go crazy. It's worse than any girl, any pageant girl ever in the whole world. When, you, when the guy is hunting and sees a band, he loses his mind. They think, oh, I shot that, even if they didn't shoot. It, it, it's insane. So we just eliminate that whole problem because we don't need that negativity and that drama while we're hunting. So I just eliminate that. And whether the people like it or not, that's just the way it is. Hey, you don't like it, don't book with me. We're already booked for next year. I don't give a flip. That's a lot of people getting really, really upset about the post. Uh, I mean, there were some people that you know that said that I had taken bands from kids, and that 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 wasn't that wasn't true. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't really even been in that situation to be honest with you. Um, I definitely have not taken a band from a kid, and I probably would not bay. I mean, whatever. But uh, as of this moment today, in this time, I have not taken a band from a kid. So all those guys that were upset about that need to just calm down just a little bit. Now, Rob, you you learned from how to do this from one of the best in the business. Um, we're not going to mention that guy's services name, but you went hunting with him uh, as a high school. I heard this as a, a high school graduation present, and y'all killed a band. You saw the band coming in, and for some reason, when the guy threw the duck to you in the blind, the band was gone, right? Yeah, I'll tell you who it was. It was J. Paul Jackson. We was hunting at Tiger. Never forget it. And the sorry sucker called it in while I was sitting there beside him. But anyway, that's how I learned how to do it. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, Rocky, this is the deal. When you've been hunting a long time and you get these bands in and people, you see people go crazy and you realize that they make people completely mad and insane, you're going to have to learn a different way to get around that. So if you, if you don't, if you're not lucky like me, and you've never won a flip ever, then you learn how to take them off. You learn how to do it. It's not hard, you know. And so yeah, people say, oh, it's just aluminum, blah blah blah. It's just a tracking device. That's true, but it's fun to get them. It's fun to kill them. It's fun to see it. It's fun to see where it came from, when it was born, or hatched, or uh, you know, banded, blah blah blah. All that. Where it came, I mean, it's fun. But it brings out the worst in people. As you can tell from the post in the 95 shares I had, uh, about half of them were negative and calling me the, you know, the antichrist of duck hunting. Yeah, there, there was a large organization that had a big discussion about you off of, off of our group, uh, the Hardcore Waterfowl Association. That is a group of hardcore waterfowlers, and man, 
they spent their whole day worrying about your post and talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, I hate that because I've been blocked from there, which I think is ridiculous, but I couldn't even defend myself. And it was hilarious because people were sending me screenshots, and I just giggled because, you know, a lot of those guys on there, you know, they killed three wood decks last year, and, you know, they're mad about me taking a band off. I mean, let's get real, buddy. I mean, we're over here killing, we're over here busting limits. And y'all worried about killing three wood ducks and then getting mad at me because I take a band? I mean, whatever. It just hey, made hey, me problem. mad. I'd seen all the posts. I'd seen all the posts on the on the site, on Ducks Out. And seen these people getting all up in arms about these bands. And, you know, I just had to say something. I just felt obligated for the other guys, you know, like me. Do you know how many people in this world do that? And the people in the blind never know. Ever. And I don't do it with my friends. I don't do it when we're fun hunting. Of course not. But when we're guiding, you got to. They, they, I've heard that you have a, a a secret step-by-step. You don't have to walk through all of them because, look, trade secrets are hard to keep. So walk us through step you know, a few of these steps of how you go about getting that band before anybody else knows. Can you tell us a few okay. of those? Well, I, I'll tell I'll tell one, and I hate to even do it, but I'm going to tell it. And look, before I do this, before I tell this, I want y'all to know, when your buddy catches you doing this, you're probably going to get set up for a pop knot. So you got to be real quick, and you got to know what you're doing. You may want to practice a little bit at home before season starts. Anyway, what you do is, when your dog brings it in, as long as it's not belly up and they don't see it, as soon as you see that thing, you grab it and you throw it in a good spot, whether it's in the woods, behind a tree, whether it's in a blind, towards the, somewhere in the blind, wherever, wherever. You're usually on the corner working the dog, so you put it somewhere acting like you're going to hang it up. Well, hopefully it's a group of more than one. You start pulling things in and throwing them in real quick. Well, then what you do is you reach down, you grab that thing, you pull it as hard as you can. And most times it'll slide right off. If it doesn't, you just pull that knuckle a little tight and kind of squeeze that band, and you've got that drilling pump, because you see that band, you get excited, and you just pull it off. Sometimes they're a little tougher than others, but the whole object is to not get seen. If you get busted, it's over. The whole thing's over. Then you're making enemies. Then you're, you know, no tips. Not even, I mean, these guys want to, they're ready to put you on the Better Business Bureau at this point, hang you from a tree somewhere. But what you do is you just slide that thing off, People don't realize that thing will come off. You don't need tools. You don't need to cut the leg off. It looks just like a normal duck once you get it off. And then what you do is you put it in your pocket and you take a little smile to yourself and you keep hunting. And it and it's that's it. It's over with. Nobody knows. No drama. No fighting. You know, you just go to the house. Throw it on the counter. Get ready. Put it on eBay. People say, well, you can't do that. You can't put it on eBay. Yeah, I can. You see what those things are going for? That's an extra tip. Well, you didn't shoot it. Well, I shot at it. Who knows who shot it with eight, nine people shooting. And last but not least, we cannot forget two of the most legendary rants, and they've happened in the past few months. It's Rob talk about coach pitch baseball which his sons play in. It's been talked about so much after 
he went on his rant two weeks in a row about coach pitch. Um, he got so big on Duck South and people were talking about it everywhere. I had to include it. Even though it was in the past few months, I had to throw it in here. But here it is one more time. Oh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, you know, you mentioned the in-laws. You know, after last night, my display at the uh, Coach Pitch baseball game, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm on every prayer list in the southeast. Oh, no. What'd you do? Man, I got a I, – man, I, I, I guess I got a little – I guess I got a little vocal with my uh, displeasure of a few uh, things, and one thing led to another. Hold and, on, hold uh, on, hold on. What was it? Displeasure with coaches or displeasure with umpires? No, 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 no. It wasn't umpires. It was kind of a – I guess it was one of those things where it was kind of the co- – <clears throat> okay, it's coach's pitch, okay? And – um, our pitcher was throwing like Bob Gibson in the 69 World Series. Love it. He, he he was throwing Greg Maddox-esque curveballs. And, I, I, you know, it's hard to throw coach pitch because you can't, you can't rear back and fling it. I get that. And I, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. But, you know, I do more like when I practice with my kids, you know, I kind of just go ahead and throw it in there. You know, there's less time to think about it. And kids that age, they don't care. They just want to hit it. They don't care where it goes. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like they're going to knock your head off or, you know, hit a home run. They just want to hit the ball. They don't – it doesn't matter. And so I guess I got a little upset because um, he was throwing – throwing some nasty stuff last night. I mean, he I think he struck out 18 batters. Uh, <laughs> he struck out 18 of his own team? Struck out 18 of 23, I think it was. We scored, okay, we've had three or four games, I think maybe it's three. We've had a hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on. I saw that on Sports, sports Center last night. It made the Sports yeah, Center not-so-top 10. It, he, it, he was on the dot. He was on the not-so-top ten. But I will say this. The guy had some serious stuff going last night. So, anyway, we've had three – okay, we've had three games, okay? The first game we scored, like, three runs. The second game we scored four. I think last night we scored five. Now, there's a five-run limit per inning, okay? Now, think about this. The other team cannot play defense. They can't field the ball. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody's turning two in coach pitch, okay? You hit a fly ball, it's going to hit the dirt. Okay, most most times if you get a hit and it doesn't go to A, the pitcher, B, the second baseman, or the shortstop or first baseman, you're out because those are the three best players on the team, on every team, okay? we Everybody knows this that's ever been to a game. So if you get a hit to the third base side, if you get it even hit a blooper, it's not like the catcher is going to get up and throw you out. they got 19 pounds of catcher gear on. The catcher is not 37 pounds. So, you know, like all you have to do is put the ball in play. That's all. If you can put the ball in play, if you get four guys on base, you're going to score pretty much three runs at least every inning. And when you score five, the other team goes to bat, and that's it. And everybody's happy. So the other coach I'm friends with, 
And he was throwing a damn good game, too. He probably had, like, some Greg Smoltz action going. And he had a uh, – he had he, – he was throwing a pretty solid game himself. But um, I think when I look back on it now, I'm pretty sure we scored – we scored three runs. We scored three runs in one inning because this kid hit one in the outfield and the other team threw it around, like, 12 times. And he got a home run. It was like an – it wasn't even inside the park. It was more like inside the infield, home run, and they they just threw it everywhere, just just throwing it all over the all over the map. So, you know, I I don't know I don't know what they were doing, but and then the next the next two runs we score, we uh, we score on a on another similar play. So we only had like I I don't know, man. We might have had. I don't know, six base runners, maybe seven. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Here's the key um, to coach pitch. For all of you that just had a new baby or you got a kid that's starting T-ball this year, moving up to coach pitch in the next couple of years, the key to coach pitch, baseball or softball, number one key, and you volunteer to coach, and you do a draft or however you get your players, make sure you get a first baseman. That's all you got to have. First baseman is very important. I almost think pitcher may be the most important because they can field it and just outrun the kid to whatever base he's going to. And, you know, it, it's one of those things, like, it, it sucks because everybody in the stands, all the coaches, everybody yells at whatever kid gets the ball. It doesn't matter if the kid is – it doesn't matter. Whoever gets it, they're like – either if it goes in the outfield in our league, it's probably this way where you have to throw the ball in or everybody can just keep running. So some kid in the outfield, it never fails, gets the ball, has no clue what to do, none at all. So they're just running around with the ball, and the runners are just scoring constantly because all the other coaches are like, yeah, like sending them in nonstop, you know. And all the other coaches are laughing because they're just getting to windmill those babies home. Jose, can, uh, Jose, the secret weapon, just wheel them in, baby. So, really, like, all you have to do, this whole thing goes back to putting the ball in play. That's that's what this all goes back to. And so, I, I got a little frustrated, and, of course, we lost. And that's okay. They don't. The kids don't know. My kid, one of my kids was so excited because he got two hits. He didn't know. He, he didn't even I, maybe he did know. I don't know, but he didn't care. So, you know, you got that going on, and then you you got all the parents screaming, all the coaches screaming, you know, everybody screaming and hollering, and, you know, it's confusing for the kids. It's got to be. Like, when I played coach pitch, I think I was like, I don't know. It was before Little League, so I was nine maybe. I don't know. I think we started Little League in ten. But, you know, by then you're a little older. I mean, these kids are seven, dude. I mean, they still like they're still working on spelling there, and and duck. You know, like they like they're still trying to spell these four letter words. Like they're not ready for the action. They're not ready to switch hit. You know, in turn two. Last week, I, I knew that that podcast episode was going to be really good. It was going to do well in the numbers, and it did. And to follow up on that. In a group message I'm in with Rob, he sends a video of their ace pitcher pitching in coach pitch. Dude, this guy's got an arm. 
And and what's even better is Rob Rob commentating it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, man. I actually had Church come to the game Saturday because he had to. He's like, "There's no way you got to be exaggerating." I'm like, "Just come to the game. Starts at one o'clock." He came to the game, and after the first pitch, he was like, "I don't see how they hit it." He's like, "He would be the most incredible softball pitcher ever." He throws it. He comes in at like six different angles. Like he starts off behind his head where the kids can't see it. Then he comes up and throws this huge rainbow that's about 14 foot off the ground, and about 70% of the time it hits the plate. So they really, like, they're going to be some curveball hitting some of a you-know-what here in a few years. Uh, it's really amazing to see. And uh, speaking of spoiler alerts, it appears that uh, the other coach is going to start pitching who throws – like you should, right? You know, one plane, not 17. So I, I've been standing back. Uh, Liz told me I needed to stand at least 20 yards away from the dugout. And, you know, I've been kind of videoing this guy. He knows I'm videoing because, you know, I if he ever asks for advice, I'm just going to let him see his video. And uh, he did have another mound visit Saturday. We lost uh, 11 11- we lost 11 to 10. We had a good hitting game. But uh, the interesting part, Rocky, is that the team didn't have enough players, so they forfeited. So we actually lost, but we won. Put that in your pipe. <laughs> it's not every day you can win and lose in the same game. <laughs> so after all this happened, my my small twin is left-handed. And so after all this happened, I said, hey, let's go in the yard and hit some balls. He's like, all right, what do you want me to do? I said, I don't want you to think about nothing. Don't think about that coach. Don't listen to that crap about watching the ball. Just worry about hitting the ball. That's all you got to think about. All you want to do when you get to play is hit the ball. You don't have to sit there and think about watching it. You just want to watch the bat hit the ball. That's the only thing that you have to do. It doesn't matter how you swing, how you hold the bat. You're seven. If you continue to play baseball, we'll work on that later. All you have to do is hit the ball. That's all you think about don't think about watching it when he tells you to take it. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Swing at the first pitch if it's a good one. So we're hitting some balls. He's hitting them okay, and he's kind of coming out of it a little bit. So I was like, hey, JG, swing at me. Like, try to hit me. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to hit me. I mean, if you do, it'll be okay. I want you to step and swing right at me every time. So I started throwing. He started ripping line drives right at me, and I was like, yes. So – Told him the other day before the game, I said, remember what we did? He said, hit it right at the pitcher. I said, you got it, buddy. And he damn near took his nuts off. I was so <laughs> proud. I've never, I've had a lot of proud moments with those kids, but that was way up there. So I've got him hitting line drives right up the middle. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the plan for the rest of the year until the, uh, until it changes for good on the, until the ace comes out. I'm thinking that this guy could really, like, if he would pitch for every team, I'm thinking that he could throw a few no-hitters. I'm real impressed that he uses the whole 45 feet. Because most coach pitch, I mean, they they, they come in just a little bit to to around 25, 30 feet. This guy's using the whole 45 feet to throw it. Well, he's a professional. Um I, I just like, like more than anything, like I don't, I really don't care that he's that horrible of a pitcher as much as I do that he talks to the kids like it's their fault they're not hitting it. He's like, come on now, watch this one. You got to watch it. I'm like, how can you watch it? It takes seven seconds for the ball to get there. 
Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, we got this kid on the team. I'm serious. He could be playing, you know, Little League right now. He's that good. Like, he's just – he's a talented kid. He's athletic. He's big. He doesn't swing like a seven-year-old. He takes a cut. He steps into it. He's just a good player, you know. And um, he's throwing these meatballs to him, and the kid can't hit him. And the kid's just like – he's frustrated. All the kids are frustrated. And I'm like, man, if you can't throw it over the plate – then don't then let somebody else do it. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I wish I had churches. We need to get church on here. I wish I had his commentary because it was it, he. You know, church church was a pretty serious softball player there and baseball. But softball after he uh, got too old to play baseball, and he was like, dude, this guy would be amazing in softball because I mean, it. I mean, he throws it 14 feet in the air, and by the time it gets to home plate. It's literally he dinks them off the middle of the home plate pretty much 60% of the time. So, you know, I, I I wouldn't care that he sucks at pitching if he just wouldn't yell at the kids and act like it's their fault because he sucks. And another thing, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, he doesn't even have a kid on the team. He's a grandfather. So he doesn't even need to be out there. So, you know, whatever. I mean, things will be over yeah. before you know it. That's that's a very important detail you left out. Yeah, he's not even a parent. He's a he's a grandparent, and his son is supposedly the head coach. And his son came in and pitched a little bit last game. He pitched really well. Kid's got some good hits. Hit it hard, you know, because it's not coming four miles an hour uh, from fifteen foot drops. So, you know, he's a grandparent. He has no business being out there. He's a hothead to begin with, and he just he needs to go home and watch Jeopardy or play Wheel of Fortune along with Vanna or something. I mean, he has no business being out there. I showed the video to a good friend of mine, Michael, and he was like, dude, I know that guy. And I was like, really? I was thinking, like, maybe he goes to church with him or knows his son, something, you know? And uh, he's like, I know that guy from somewhere. It's killing me. Like, where did I know him from? And he was like, dude, I just figured it out. And I was like, what? Man, I was managing a speedy lube like 15 years ago, and that guy came in there and tried to fight my mechanic. And my mechanic was like a, like a, like knew like some sort of karate or something. And he knew he's like, he saw it on the camera, so he went out there and talked to him. He's like, dude, you need to get out of here and never come back. So apparently the guy just, you know, he's he's a badass from way back. I, he probably directed and wrote Karate Kid. I'll need to search that and see if that's true. But um. Yeah, so that's what I've been dealing with. I've uh, been practicing a lot with the boys, trying to keep their, uh, you know, their confidence up because uh, Greg Maddox is throwing them nasty pitches in there. So it's going pretty good. I figure I, I talked to Liz. I was like, let's just switch them and see if I can get them on another team or switch leagues or something. I don't know. And she's like, no, let's just stick it out. And every time I go to a game, it's like inside of my body does this thing where that it takes everything in my body and mind and everything not to say something like it is really really hard for me not to say you know throw the damn ball i mean it looks like it's a combination of like long darts and real darts the way he throws it i don't even know how to explain it it's like he's throwing real darts but throws it like at the ceiling like trying to do trick shots so I don't know, but he called timeout again, did a mound visit, didn't work. And I, let me tell you this, too. I, before I get into all this, everybody should know I'm not a professional baseball player. 
I played serious, and I'll leave it at that, and probably should have played in college instead of went to Ole Miss and failed out. But that's a whole other story, and it's nobody's business. But anyway, I think I could have played Division three and got a foreign language scholarship, but that's who cares? So anyway, um, I'm sitting there watching the game, okay? One of my kids plays catcher, so I'm, I'm watching him, and every time there's a play at home, the cutoff man runs all the way to home plate. So they're both standing on home with their arms up like they're going to get the ball and tag the runner. Well, this happens in the last game, and I'm like, don't you think if it happened a couple of times, the coaches would be like, okay, even if they make my kid back up, I'm fine with that. But don't have two kids standing at the plate with their arms up. It doesn't make sense. They're fighting for the ball. So, okay, so I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe they'll say something about this. It's pretty simple. I mean, all you got to say is, hey, guys, you know, just one of y'all stay at the plate. The other one either back him up or cut it off. It's that easy. It's happened seven times since then. I mean, this isn't rocket science. Instead of taking a stupid mound visit, hike your redheaded ass up to the home plate and tell them to be apart from each other. It's not, I mean, you, you don't have to be a major league, I mean, major league manager to figure this out. It's not that hard. You watch the game. It's like Bull Durham. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. That's it. It's baseball. It's the best sport ever. It's not that hard. You don't have to be God's gift. You don't have to be Ozzie Smith to play baseball when you're seven. And go tell the kid. I don't care if you tell my kid. Say, back him up. Get the hell out of the way. And see if somebody can make a play. And then they'll hit like a little blooper to shortstop, and they don't think they think the runner's going to be safe. So the coach yells at them, don't throw it, don't throw it. I'm like, well, that's a great way to teach kids baseball. You teach them to catch it in the infield and don't throw it to first base. That's perfect. Great idea. Perfect. And they do it every time. It kills me. I mean, it, it, it makes it, it – I've got to stop going to the games. Or I'm just going to have to watch the – I'm just going to have to, like, sit there and just not – just. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. It, it's really, really frustrating. So, so your coach is, is is hoping to get his three outs by strikeouts, not by actually getting people out. Well, basically, if they hit it to the pitcher, that's his main go-to play. Now, the shortstop that's playing for us, he's about, I don't know, he's a taller kid. He's got a good arm, and he's throwing people out when the coach is yelling at him not to throw. I mean, this would be like uh, this would be like telling your middle linebacker not to hit the running back. Just, you know, don't hit him. There's no reason. Why would you not let him throw? It's practice. It helps the first baseman. It helps the kid throwing it. They learn from mistakes. And you're telling them not to throw it, which is telling them in their mind that they're not good enough to throw the damn ball. It's just a total cluster. You know what? It makes me so mad, and I feel bad for the kids. I mean, they got some decent kids on the team. They could throw some kids out, make some close plays, but no, they just they hold the ball because they don't want the runner to advance when the first baseman misses it. But that's how the kids learn, and then they can hold it. Say, say the shortstop throws the first, first baseman drops, it gets behind him, he gets one base. It's not like he's getting inside the park home run. Guys, I hope that you've enjoyed these few special moments that I've picked out going through a few of these episodes of Mondays with Rob. 
Now, over the next couple of days, and we'll bring you some other special moments from some other podcast episodes because we've had some great ones. Join us on the End of the Line podcast. Again, thank you for being a part of this. We enjoy bringing it to you every day, every week. It's a lot of fun. Thank you again. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.